0: Welcome back to another episode. We're talking about a very serious subject, but we're going to give you some solutions. I like doing shows where we point out problems, but we also point out solutions uh, because we always hear about problems in our lives, but nobody tells us how to fix them, and then we just are anxious about it and feel out of control, and being in control is a, a very important part of your health, because you have to be in control of your health. You can't depend on anybody else to do it for you if you haven't figured that out yet. Um, We're going to be talking today with a returning guest, Dr. Krista Varaday. Um, She is the author of The Every Other Day Diet. She was on the show years ago. I don't know how many years ago. It's been 17 years I've been doing this podcast. But as you know, I'm going to be leaving very soon to pursue uh, other things that I'm working on. Um, but uh, we're getting this interview in because it's important. I have friends that suffer from NAFLD, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. You get fatty liver without the fun. At least if you're drinking, you're happy, right? Um, and it's it's really a big problem. People don't – I think the people discount it somehow. Um, but NAFLD is probably uh, a look into other metabolic issues that you have that you don't know about. If fat is – growing into your liver, uh, then it's growing into muscles, and we know that that impairs the ability to um, get have good muscle function. Muscle is an organ also. Uh, if it is uh, in your liver, it's probably around your organs, and we've done shows with uh, Dr. Sean O'Mara about the role of visceral fat in disease. Um, it goes on and on and on. So when you think about NAFLD, don't think just about the liver. Like, well, I'll just take some supplements that are good for my liver. I won't drink. That's not enough. You, you have to fix this stuff, not because of the liver exclusively, but because of all of the other metabolic issues that you're suffering from, whether you're lying to yourself or you're just ignoring them. Your doctors probably told you about it. Your blood sugar's too high. Uh, metformin is a drug we're going to prescribe for you next time. Your blood pressure's too high. Um, you know, blood pressure is high. Blood pressure is more about insulin resistance because as insulin goes up, angiotensin converting enzyme goes up and squishes all the blood vessels. Imagine you step on a hose; where you step on the hose to the wall, where the spigot is, that's where the pressure builds up because you just shut off this part here. So, we're talking about something that can be identified and can be addressed and targeted that will actually have a cascade of benefits in your life. Uh, people who are diabetic get cancer more often. They, they develop uh, um, dementia sooner. They have heart disease, liver function, kidney function. So pay attention because this is a really simple thing to do. You don't have to be heroic. You don't have to go in and deadlift 500 pounds every week to reverse illness. There's very simple things you can do and we will discuss them today. Uh, before we get started, we have to thank our title sponsor and that's Legendary Foods. If you have always wanted to eat a Cinnabon, but in order to stay in your dietary lane, you don't, well, now you can enjoy the flavor without the guilt. If you go to Legendary Foods' website and use the link shrnetwork.biz slash legendary, you'll find their newest addition to their healthy snacks, and that is the sweet rolls. There's a cinnamon-flavored sweet roll, chocolate, and wild berry. And you will swear that you are eating garbage but you're not. 20 grams of high-quality dairy protein, one gram of sugar, five grams of net carbs. You can eat these. Your kids can eat them. Your kids will eat them all. If you give these to your kids, they'll want to eat them all. And God bless them. They should. This is better than a Twinkie. Uh, this is better than you know a Cinnabon. This is better than any of the stuff that they're going to gravitate to and their friends are going to gravitate to. Go to shrnetwork.biz slash legendary. Use the code SHR10 to let them know you heard about it here on the show. And indulge and enjoy as many as you like because they're not going to hurt you like the other stuff out there. And now without further delay. We need a pleasant face to balance, to balance out my mug here. Uh, I'm making sure. Can you hear me okay, Krista? Yeah. Okay. Um, Hi. welcome back to the show. I don't know. How many years has it? When, when did you release the book originally?
1: I think it was 2014. So yeah, almost 10 years, I think. Yeah,
0: yeah I know. Uh, welcome back. And you, um, why don't you plug your, your university and your lab and all that sort of stuff too before we get started?
1: Oh, sure. So, um, I'm a professor at the University of Illinois Chicago and, um, our lab studies intermittent fasting. We've been doing this for about well, over 15 years now. So we run like human trials looking at, you know, whether or not it works mainly for weight loss and helping people like reverse type 2 diabetes. Um, I do have an Instagram at Dr. Krista Verity. I think it will be posted at some point where I post, um, our research updates, just anything coming out of our lab. Oh yeah, there it is. And then also just kind of like practical tips on how to do intermittent fasting. So I know people have a lot of questions when they start the diet. So yeah, there's stuff on there just to, to answer those main questions
0: too. Did, did, um, intermittent fasting, fall into your view when Dr. McCarty did that first study with rodents, where the every other day for, uh, fasting for rodents. Do you remember that study?
1: Uh, like Mark Matson?
0: No, it was Dr. Mark McCarty. He was with UCLA. He did the study actually uh, at, in Mexico City at a hospital there. And he was the oh. first person to come on my show in two, around 2008 and talked about every other day diet protocols and how it increased sirtuins and the, the and then he did a second study where they exercised fasted after fasting you know so they did the first study where they fasted every other day then they did fa- fasted and and cardio and you know they saw remarkable things that kind of elucidated the, the road ahead and um and it was very. oh
1: that was in animals
0: or yeah i was in rodents yeah yeah
1: oh, okay i'm yeah i'm not familiar with that one
0: yeah Uh, Dr. Mark McCarty, he kind of, I don't want to say he started all this, but he really did. He was the first study I read about uh, every other day fasting, uh, and and, and I had him on the show back in 2008. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. So um, first things first, um, before we start talking about fasting and eating protocols, let's talk about uh, NAFLD, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. It's stated that... 25% Twenty-five percent of the U.S. population and twenty-nine percent of the global population suffer from non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, and I think most people think it's pretty—it's—it's it's, it's pretty meaningless. Like, you know, what what does that do? But really, if you have a fatty liver, what is it doing to your body in it, in and of itself? Not the fact that the disease state that put you there. What does a, a, a fatty liver do to you?
1: Yeah. So it's exactly what you said. A lot more people are affected by this than what people think. So it's actually in America, about 65% of people that have a BMI over 30. So people that are considered in the obesity range, um, have fatty liver disease, and a lot of them don't even know they have it. Um, And then the main reason that it's um, kind of becoming a a massive issue these days is because it really predisposes people to type 2 diabetes. So it just messes up um, glucose regulation and then um, people with fatty liver disease I forget. I think it's like a two to three fold higher chance of developing um, type two diabetes in the next like five to 10 years. So that's the major reason. And I think there's like stuff coming out of the CDC saying like, you know, with our growing obesity rates, it just keeps on going up year by year that. By 2050, about almost like 50% of the population might have type 2 diabetes. And right now it's around 10%. So it's just going to explode if we don't get this whole obesity thing under control. So and then, yeah, once someone has type 2 diabetes, then it's like a whole other set of issues, you know, with like that could lead to like amputations and like blindness and everything. So it's really scary. So
0: in in simplest terms, I'm going to explain non-alcoholic fatty liver disease and then I want you to call me on. The absurdity. Imagine you have a 2,000 square foot home and every month you keep buying furniture and now you have enough furniture to put in a 3,000 square foot home. And now you have to, well, uh, the kitchen table, we're going to have to put it in a different room because it doesn't fit in the kitchen any longer. And you start putting things where you can as opposed to where they belong. And insulin does this as we become, enter into obesity Uh, The body goes, you know, where are we going to put this fat? Uh, Well, let's put some in the liver. Let's put some in the muscle. Let's wrap some around the heart, put some around the kidneys. And all of a sudden, visceral fat starts to grow, which we know uh, from a recent show with Dr. Sean O'Mara that I talked about has its own deleterious effects, uh, inflammatory and, and, and immune system wrecking. So is this what's happening? Like the body has so much fat to deal with it, it just doesn't know what to do with it and starts putting it in the wrong places like in organs and stuff?
1: Yeah, no, that's exactly right. I, to the point where I, I really like the way you're describing it. So I, I teach classes in obesity. I was like, I think I might use that house analogy. <laughs> it's, it's a good one for yeah. sure. But yeah, it's just fat. You know, when you have like too much fat in your body, it just ends up in places that shouldn't be. So in the liver and muscles, just yeah, in, in different organs. So
0: even behind the right. eyes, when you become really obese, when you're to the point where you're one of these people who, um, just being able to correct things to live longer is an issue. You, there's, there's even fat that, that causes the eyes to bulge. It, it grows behind, it grows everywhere. And, and, and the body isn't going to get rid of fat. It's not, it, it wants to get rid of it as an energy substrate. But if you don't do the things to turn it into an energy substrate, it just gets stored for later on. So, with that being the case, um, does fat in the liver, Stimulate a greater degree of inflammation than a healthy liver.
1: It, it it the main thing it does is it messes up insulin resistance. I haven't seen in terms of like correlations with inflammation. It's kind of some studies show that it does, some studies show that it doesn't. But I think the main thing to keep in mind is. Just obesity in general is associated with, like, low-grade inflammation. So whether or not that's directly coming from the liver, it's a little uncertain. It seems like it's coming more from visceral fat. So just the general fat that's contained, like, in the belly area, that type of fat tends to release higher amounts of, like, inflammatory cytokines. So, like, TNF-alpha and IL-6 and that type of thing.
0: Does an, uh, a a person who has fatty liver, do they tend up with more fibrotic Build up in the liver do you know
1: yeah yeah absolutely so it's usually associated once you have more fat in your liver it's the fibrosis score also increases.
0: and that's hard people don't realize how bad a fibrosis is my a good friend of mine Matt Andrew he's my personal physician said as we age we turn into wood I said no as we age we turned into petrified flesh it's like if you've ever found a petrified branch in a in a stream and it looks like a branch and it looks like wood and you pick it up and it's so heavy because over tens of dozens of years, it's become impregnated with minerals that are in the water. And it's stone now. It looks like a branch. It looks like wood, but it's literally stone. And he said that's what happens to our bodies as we age because actin, uh, is, is a wonderful thing to repair and heal. Uh, but when it, when it's not modulated properly, it can create scars where there have never been scars. Like nothing cut your liver, but now all of a sudden this hunk over here is like, it's like a a, a tire. It's like a rubber tire, and it's not functioning. It can't filter anything anymore. It can't do anything. It's just there. So the, the, fibrotic tissue in the liver is a big problem today with people, and no one discusses this at all
1: for sure. And as basically as someone's fatty liver disease progresses and gets more severe, that's associated with higher levels of fibrosis, but the main treatment really for NAFLD is losing weight. Yeah. So you can do that by like just daily calorie restriction and we noticed that in like the guidelines, the main thing they're saying to do as a first step before people go on to like like meds basically is um, to just combine calorie restriction with exercise. But we found that people really don't like daily calorie restriction just because, you know, they have to, like, count calories and they're always, like, having to log stuff in, like, My Fitness pal or whatever app. So our question here was really, you know, can you do intermittent fasting instead? So alternate day fasting where you eat regularly one day and then the next day you do, like, 500 calories. So you kind of get – I think the benefit to alternate day fasting is that you get, like, a day off of dieting every other day. Um, so that's, yeah, that's kind of what, what the main question here was. So it's a fasting
0: mimicking day, right? It's a day of 500 calories or less, mm-hmm. which gives you something to eat. You know, you, you, you're not mm-hmm. going the whole day. Um, yep. but do you find that people who are already down the rabbit hole of type two diabetes, they tend to be, we talk about metabolic inflexibility on this show a lot and they tend to be um, inflexible when it comes to metabolics where if they go for more than two or three hours at a time without food, they start, Getting the shakes, they, they don't feel good, uh, they become anxious sometimes, uh, uh, and, and they have yeah. to eat. How do you, how do you take that person who is so metabolically inflexible that they literally eat every two or three hours? Not good, good food, but now you gotta let them stretch the day out on the 500 calorie day.
1: So yeah that's a great question. I we've never run studies in like with alternate day fasting and type 2 diabetes but we are running one right now actually it's just finishing up hopefully we'll publish it this summer with time restricted eating so it's often called like 16 8 where people eat within an 8 hour window and then they have to fast for um 16 hours and you know honestly first study in type 2 diabetes and I wasn't sure what was going to happen. I was really scared people were going to collapse yeah. or, you know, like hypoglycemia seizures or something, but people honestly really like it. They're doing way better with the time-restricted eating that, than they are with um, just the daily calorie restriction because we're also comparing it to like standard care diets. Right. Um So, You know, you'd think that they'd really struggle with it, but when people try it, they're just so sick. These patients are so sick of being told to just like count calories and carbs every day that intermittent fasting is almost like a relief to them that they get to try something new that will actually work. So, um, but there was just a study published in diabetes care, I think like a couple days ago with alternate day fasting showing that people could stick to it really well. They did three days of fasting, um, Per week and it was about 500 calories and there was no, no major issues of like hypoglycemia or seizures or, you know, massive hunger or anything like that. So I think the bodies can just adjust to whatever you throw at it. The well, first especially- 10 days of all of these regimens are really tricky right. for everybody. So that's something to keep in mind. But I think, yeah, I think people with type two diabetes can do these. Well,
0: especially bodies. if you're doing fasting correctly. So in my humble opinion, there's two ways to do it. Obviously uh, you, you eat. You, you, you wait to eat till even as late as noontime, depending on how early you go to sleep, sure. or maybe, you know, 6 a.m., uh, 8 a.m., whatever. And then you eat for eight hours, and then you stop, mm-hmm. and you actually sleep through, if you're lucky enough to sleep eight hours a night, which more and more people in the population are having trouble with, and that also contributes to the whole insulin resistance picture. But if you, um, sleep eight hours, you're sleeping through eight hours of the fast, so you're not going, oh, God, I wish I could have something to eat. You're sleeping, period. Yeah, uh, exactly. But what, I, what I've i adapted to when I do fast, and I do fast periodically. I don't do it as much as I used to. I literally used to fast every day. I had a 16-hour, eight every day. Uh, and sometimes even less than that, I'd, I'd fast 20 and have one meal. And all those things actually work. You, have, you can't do them const- constantly. You have to change it up. But – one of the things that I've evolved to is I eat my first meal earlier because I go to the gym, and so after I train, I want to eat. So I eat my first meal earlier, but I stop eating earlier. And I actually find that that helps me sleep better. If I'm done eating, if my if my window of eating is from like 6A to 6P, I sleep really, really good those nights. If I eat later, I find if I eat 7 o'clock – I don't sleep as good because there's still stuff digesting. What do you think
1: about that? Yeah, th- we've actually run a lot of studies, and um, so we did that four hour window, like the twenty four as well, and we find that that's really effective for weight loss. Uh, we recently published a review looking at how time restricted eating affects sleep and intermittent fasting in general, and honestly, there's not we didn't we're not seeing any like significant effects. We are having like anecdotal people just saying like, Oh, now that I have to stop eating, you know, three or four hours before I go to sleep, like particularly people with like any kind of gastric reflux, they're like, Oh, I can sleep so much better because I'm not in pain or whatever. So I don't know if it's that, but, um, but yeah, for sure. For some people, we we all, we all
0: digest food at a different rate. And we also, we also digest different foods at different rates. And I tend to eat, um, what I would call a, well, I remember discussing something with uh, Doctor. Let's see who it was. Daniel Lieberman from Harvard, uh, anthropologist, wrote a, wrote a couple good books. Had him on the show for them, and I said, "You know, where did we get this notion that well, we 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 killed a bison would go with good with good good with this would be some broccoli? Somebody go get broccoli. Like we didn't eat that way historically through evolution. We ate what we had until it was gone, and then we moved on to something else." But I guess it's the French and the Italian. You know, we we've delved into this whole gastronomical world, where this tastes good with that, and truffles with that, and then a cream sauce. And I find that those are the foods, those very complex, articulated, flavored foods. They take longer to digest than a than a, than a piece of steak by itself. And so, everybody digests foods differently, and we digest foods, uh, different foods differently. And I find a really great thing for, that I did years and years ago was I ate a meal early in the day and I also ate about a teaspoon of charcoal, just pure charcoal. You know, it's like, um, uh, medical grade charcoal that they, they use. And then I waited to see the charcoal in my bowel movement and I learned that I am literally a 24 to 26 hour digester. What I eat now at this time, will come out of me tomorrow around this time. And once I understood that, and I understood how long it takes for me to get food out of the stomach and into the lower intestine, that's where I decided I'm not going to eat after six o'clock because when I have a good four-hour window before I go to sleep, I sleep like a champ. When I go to sleep earlier, I can literally hear the peristalsis. I can hear my stomach grumbling and you know it's working and i don't want to go to work to sleep when the factory is working so i strive to make sure the foods i choose late in the day are going to work fast and be be downstream before i hit the pillow that's just what i do that's me
1: Oh, okay. Yeah, in general, you know, we process carbohydrates fastest and then it's usually proteins and fats take a bit longer. But most people, it's about six hours to get down to, like, the colon and then it kind of just sits there and in the rectum for a while. So, yeah. Right. yeah, it makes sense that you saw that, like, 24 hours later. Yeah. So let's
0: talk about uh, one other question I have, and I don't know if this is in your purview, but I'm going to ask anyway. Fat-soluble vitamins are stored in the liver. Is there any incidence of uh, vitamin deficiencies and or uh, anything about fat-soluble vitamins and what happens to them when someone has a fatty liver?
1: Well, we actually, the only, there's like four fat-soluble vitamins and the only one that's stored in the liver is vitamin A. So vitamin E is stored in the fat and vitamin D is stored in the blood. Um, and then vitamin K is kind of stored everywhere, but uh, yeah, and some in the liver as well. So you're asking, like, do you get nutrient deficiencies? Yeah, with could, fatty acids? Could, could, could
0: maybe. So maybe um, the t- conversion from uh, D made in the skin to 25 hydroxy is because we've read we've read studies about how obese people need more vitamin D. Well, why is it just yeah. because of the sheer tissue volume, or is there something going on with fatty liver in there?
1: Oh, that, yeah, that's a great question. So yeah, we're trying, I teach a class in vitamins and minerals. So we've been trying to detangle what's going on there. Um, so it's an association with people that have obesity tend to have lower levels. So yeah, there might be some type of conversion thing because, you know, some people think that vitamin D like comes from the sun. It doesn't, but it's basically like there's like a pre precursor like existing on your skin and the sun touches it and it converts it to vitamin D, but maybe there might be like a slower mechanism there or something wrong with the mechanism, but the main thing that they're thinking is that people with obesity may get less sun exposure um, by, like, less activity and going outside. So that's another possibility.
0: That, you know what? That is something I didn't think about. When I was 330 pounds, I never wanted to take my shirt off when I took the kids to the pool. So there you go. You, you, they could be that. Yeah, it might
1: be that. Yeah, there's a lot. But you're right, though. Yeah, obesity is associated with low D levels for sure.
0: Uh, I want to put your book up and take our first break. And when we come back, let's talk about what the protocol was that the people – there was 80 people in this study, right? Let's talk talk about what they did. So if you want to read The Every Other Day Diet, the original one, uh, before all the apps came out and all the other silly stuff, uh, you can get Dr. Varaday's book at Amazon. It's called The Every Other Day Diet. And four weeks, 12 pounds, two sizes. That's impressive because, you know, that speaks to women because let's be honest. Women are the ones that go on all the diets. Women are the ones who say, I'm never going to eat again. I can't lose any weight. Here's your answer. the other, Every other day diet, you don't have to take heroic measures. You're not going to be in pain. You're not going to be so uncomfortable that you can't think straight or work. Uh, you're not going to be hangry like a lot of people talk about. Uh, you'll be able to do this and achieve your goals. But you have to be realistic. Weight takes decades sometimes to put on. I didn't become 330 pounds quickly. I I did it really uh, over a decade and when I decided to change my life, I wasn't foolish enough to believe that I could lose that weight in a couple months or a couple weeks or even a couple years. I looked at my the journey back the way I looked at the journey forward. I did the same things every single day and I was patient and I got to 330 pounds. And in order to get to lose the body fat, I had to be patient and do the same things every day. And I was back down. I lost 100 pounds my first go around. So, but there you go. So we're going to take one quick commercial break. If you're watching live, feel free to ask questions. Uh, we'll be right back with more Superhuman Radio. Great sleep upgrades you on virtually every level. Body fat, muscle mass, mood, brain function, and countless other ways. But taking melatonin alone isn't the answer. Thanks to a brand new sleep formula developed by my friends at Bioptimizers, you can experience the best night's sleep ever. Sleep Breakthrough is a delicious sleep drink that supports your natural melatonin production and relaxation without creating a dependency so you can have the best night's sleep on demand. It targets five different sleep pathways to give you the best sleep ever. And best of all, you'll wake up feeling rested and rejuvenated so that you can have the best day possible. For an exclusive offer for my listeners, go to sleepbreakthrough.com slash shr and use the code shr10 for 10% off. Plus you can unlock special gifts with the value of at least $20. This is a limited time offer. So go to sleepbreakthrough.com forward slash shr right now. For 17 years I've heard promises of devices and gadgets that could Eliminate chronic pain. I live with chronic pain. I live with sciatic nerve pain. It varies from just annoying to debilitating. I love to ride my motorcycle. I ride it every day if I can. And obviously my motorcycle doesn't treat my lumbar spine good. I got the Kylo patch and I promised to give it a try, but I got to be honest with you. I thought it was bullshit, but I did what I was instructed. Find the right spot. Over the pain, you'll feel the pain start to go away, leave it there, and go about your business. And I did that. And that day, I got on my motorcycle, and I rode for about three hours. It was a Saturday. I came home that day, got off my bike, and had no back pain. That's rare. In fact, in fact, it's impossible. How could that be? Well, the technology is legit. And I can tell you right now, if you give Kylo a try, you'll find that you don't have to live with chronic pain. Check it out. Go to shrnetwork.biz slash gokylo. That's G-O-K-A-I-L-O use code SHR30 for 30% off. Millions of people know that shrewd food is the smartest way to snack ever get that craving for crunchy snacks but don't want to eat all those empty carbs? Well instead of puffed corn or wheat like most snacks, shrewd food puffs protein powder this gives these crazy efficient macros. 2 grams of carbs, 14 grams of protein. That's as high as 67% protein and with only 90 calories. So knock out the carbs but keep the amazing flavor and crunch you're looking for. Shrewd food Food is now available at Walmart and Sprouts or go to shrnetwork.biz slash shrewdfood and use the code SHR25
1: for 25% off your order. Dogs should be powered by fat and protein, not carbs. That's why Visionary Pet makes low-carb, ketogenic dog food for dogs of all breeds and life stages. From kibble to freeze-dried and even low-carb treats, all Visionary Pet recipes are very low-carb, ketogenic, and made with 100% real meat protein. Shop now and use code SHR for 20% off your first order today. Your dog deserves the lifelong benefits of optimal nutrition. Make the switch to visionary and see why smart dogs eat low carb.
0: You're listening to the Superhuman Channel. We're ripped and we're ready. Welcome back to Superhuman Radio. We're talking about using... Intermittent fasting to rid your body of fatty liver disease, but also a lot of other things, too, like visceral fat drops, uh, insulin sensitivity improves. So, talk about the study. How was the study designed?
1: Sure. So yeah, our main question was to see if you we combined alternate day fasting with exercise, if that would help to treat fatty liver disease. So fatty liver disease is defined if you have, it's basically if you have more than 5% of your liver by weight is fat. So to treat it, you want to drop it down below that 5%. So our subject started around like 15% liver fat. So we're trying to see if these two, this diet exercise protocol could help get them back into the normal range basically. Um, and so it was a three-month study. We had four different groups, so really kind of traditional design where we looked at the diet by itself, exercise by itself, combination of the diet and exercise, and then just a no-intervention control group. And um, yeah, that, that's basically what we did. And then we had the alternate day fasting. So the diet arm was basically um, 600 calories every other day. So And then the days in between, which we call the feast days, people can just kind of do whatever they want. Um, and we show that people don't actually like overeat on those feast days. It's interesting. You think that you'd like binge if you just had 600 calories the day before, but people don't actually do that. So um, and then for exercise, we supervised that uh, at the research center and basically had people come in five days a week for about an hour to do aerobic exercise. So on like treadmills and elliptical machines at about 80% of um, HR max.
0: What is VM? I don't know uh, what the initials stand for, so I'm sorry uh, on YouTube. What is the best way to diagnose fatty liver? Ultrasound, MRI, CT scan? What?
1: Uh, That's a great question. MRI is like the gold standard. So, so we used MRI um, in our study, and we kind of we measured liver fat before and after the intervention period.
0: Um. Yeah, you just said so. That's the scan you used in this study, right? Yeah, Because yeah. he he followed this up just now with a question, and I think we just answered it. Um, okay, so getting back to the the discussion, I, I find that anytime people are responsible for keeping a diary of anything, they 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 always underreport what they consider bad behavior and overreport what they consider good behavior. Was there any evidence where you had a couple people that were outliers, like you know they either lost way more? or didn't lose hardly anything where you suspect well they they weren't really sticking to the diet.
1: Yeah, that that's a great point. So in in general like nutrition research, we find that people with obesity underreport energy intake by about 30 to 40%, so I'd say pretty much everyone did that. Right. We had people say that they're basically eating like half as much as they used to, that was like across the board um but then you know they did lose weight they lost like five percent of their body weight so they were definitely reducing energy intake but nowhere close to what they were reporting so and we see that in every study the main thing that will show you how much they're actually reducing energy intake is really by like their weight loss so you can kind of back calculate it that way
0: will you will you pay attention to lean body mass versus fat or did you you, because obviously no one wants to lose muscle we only want to lose body
1: fat do we know? Yeah, we, so we did. We measured fat mass and lean mass and visceral fat mass using DEXA. Um, MRI is the gold standard for that, but it's super expensive. So we, we use, um, we have a DEXA machine. And we found that both fat mass and visceral fat mass decreased in the, um, that combination exercise diet group. And then lean mass actually was maintained. Do you think,
0: uh, let's see, so VM said, can you get rid of visceral fat with diet
1: alone? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um The main way to get rid of when re- loses weight you 're going to just reduce like all the fat compartments in your body. It kind of all shrinks together so then another important thing to keep in mind is that exercise alone usually doesn't result in that much weight loss. it's super healthy for you. it helps improve like insulin sensitivity right. but in studies, you know, you'll lose, you really have to attach that, like the exercise, you have to add on to some type of dietary restriction protocol where you're monitoring calories or reducing calories. Cause, you know, when people exercise, they just get pretty hungry and end up kind of eating back all those calories and not losing weight.
0: That's why I exercise. That's why I lift weights so hard because I want to eat after that. I'm like, oh, I can, I'm building muscle now.
1: Um, yeah. Well, it's different if you're like in the normal weight range or if you, you've like reached your goal weight, then exercise is wonderful for maintaining weight loss. But it's not, you know, whenever we, we basically run almost like a weight loss clinic. So if you want to, if you only have time to do one, I would definitely recommend doing dietary restriction, like calorie restriction or intermittent fasting or like a keto diet, whatever works for you, um, as a first step.
0: There is something unique about visceral fat that the body actually protects it. I remember reading a study probably 17 or 18 years ago about people who, um, went for aggressive liposuction, like on on more than 40% of their body. And they looked great. They lost, you know, they obviously were lighter. But as time went on, they did put the fat back on. But interestingly, they put it on inside the viscera, which tells me that the body goes, we're not going to let them steal this from us again. This is important fat. And so the body and, and then there's the, there's a good study we covered on the show that led to the uh, creation of a product that's no longer around um, but it was a it was a, an AI driven um, exercise bike that that used biofeedback and made you do interval interval training and the rate of visceral fat that dropped on the test group that led to the product was ridiculous like it exclusively, Reduce visceral fat first. And and then when you look at Sean O'Mara's work where he combines sprinting for those of us who can still sprint uh, and, and dietary changes and literally goes after exclusively visceral fat. I mean, he took some football players who were their their visceral was literally loaded and you could see their organs were being like crushed. And like six months later, it was like a different person was doing this uh this, this, uh, uh, MRI. And so, oh, maybe, yeah, it was MRI, I think. He didn't use DEXA. But anyway, um, there's something unique about visceral fat. The body, for some reason, looks at visceral fat as preferential once you develop it. It tries to protect it, it seems like. That's, that's my own interpretation of those studies connecting those dots.
1: Hey, yeah. I'm just looking. I can't find anything by Sean O'Mara on PubMed, but maybe that's just me. I don't know. I'll, I'll send you some links to his stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah, but in general, people gain and lose fat the same way. So there's Android versus gynoid gynoid obesity. so some people just gain it on their bellies and some people gain it more around their hips and thighs. so that's like a genetic thing. But as someone gains weight, you're gonna deposit fat in that pattern back again the way you used to genetically. Yeah. either more of vis- some people just naturally gain more visceral fat so um, and then in general, people will lose it like Definitely, exercise can help that, but you generally just need to lose a certain percentage of fat in total to start losing visceral fat. So I'm surprised he got those findings, and yeah, for some reason I can't seem to find any scientific.
0: Well, the the liposuction that. study was ridiculously like I looked at that and what the hell? Like all these people paying mm-hmm. thousands of dollars to get lipo, and then they end up with a distended gut. It looks like because they're, they're, the the oh. fat comes back exclusively inside the viscera. It's oh, I've
1: never, I've never. Seen that either, but yeah. If you want to send me the studies, it it just it's kind of counterintuitive to like what we know in obesity research now, where when people gain back weight, they basically gain it back in the, in the same compartments as they did. Just because lipoprotein lipase is this thing that's kind of like a fat grabber on your cells, and it, it there's a lot of it in visceral fat for some people. So as fats floating through the circulation, it will grab it and put it back in there. But all of that's like genetically determined. So. I'm not sure. Yeah, why you saw that stuff? Is there a reason? Or, yeah. Is there
0: a reason why contrast being used with MRI would be needed for this type of uh, uh, an assay for liver fat? Yeah, he's, A VM is asking. Did you use MRI with contrast? They only use that for tumor uh, detection.
1: I think so. Yeah. No, we just we just full on we just use MRI PDFF, which is like. A way of measuring um, fat in the liver. Um, I'm not an MRI technician, so I don't know exactly what it's doing. But uh, no contrasts were needed. It takes about it took about like 20 minutes per, per people per person. We just like scan the liver directly. So
0: they they lost the in this in the in the, in the group that actually had all of the the the, 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 the um, MRI uh, to observe the fat. Uh, they they received both exercise and dietary changes. They lost about five percent of their total body fat over what period of time?
1: Uh, three months. So we did the MRIs for like all those four groups. Um, and we found that it was basically the combination group that saw like the best effect. So they lost about 5% of body weight and then their liver fat decreased by about 6%. So we weren't able to treat it because again, it started out, their liver fat was around 15 and we wanted to drop it below five, but we mainly got it kind of like below 10 Um, And if it would have gone on
0: long, no reason to uh, not think that if it would have gone on longer, then it would have. Exactly.
1: Yeah, and then we also saw like improvements in insulin sensitivity. So definitely it it seems to work. If you combine intermittent fasting um, with exercise, it seems like it's a good way to treat it. Um, But it's true. We should have ran the study for longer.
0: So um, were there any other uh, things that kind of popped out at you? Like a lot of them complained that they're – their knee pain. And, and and I want to make sure I tell people this. Uh, osteoarthritis is a slower form of rheumatoid arthritis. We've talked about the studies. We've had the scientists on the show to talk about it. It is autoimmune in nature. The reason that people's knees hurt isn't exclusively because of biomechanical loading. Because uh, obese people get arthritis in their neck and their head, their head isn't really much heavier than ours. Uh, they get arthritis in their fingers and it's not like they carry more fat in their fingers. And so we know now that there's an, immune, an autoimmune uh, portion of osteoarthritis. But with that being said, when you lose weight, the factory that makes inflammation gets smaller. So did you mm-hmm. see, did people say, you know, I can't believe my knees don't hurt, my ankles don't hurt, my wrists don't hurt, any of that uh, reported?
1: Uh, we didn't we didn't measure that specifically, um, and I I didn't interact with the subject, so I'm not sure. But I probably because you know just as you lose weight, there's yeah you know again obesity creates like low grade inflammation throughout your whole body, and as you lose weight and lower your visceral fat mass, all of those cytokines tend to decrease. So probably, but yeah, that that would have been a good thing to measure as well.
0: So, um, is there a new book coming out as a result of your more recent research that you've done since 2014?
1: yeah, so so since I've um, I've kind of transitioned more to like the sixteen eight diet since that seems to be the one that most people are interested yeah. in now, and it's easier to get grant funding in that area too. So we're running, um, or sorry, we're but there's gonna be a book called The Fastest Diet that's coming out um, first in Australia next September. And then hopefully in about a year or so in the U.S. So yeah, the fastest diet, and it really looks more at the effects of time restricted eating for health. So it doesn't work in people with diabetes, obesity, you know, fatty liver disease, that type of thing.
0: You know, I stopped using the word uh, fasting, intermittent fasting, because that almost um, triggers this zealot-like attitude about diet. And people always talk about, oh, you gotta have a good relationship with your food. I have a great relationship with my food. It tastes great. I swallow it and it's happy to be in my belly and I'm happy that it's there. But with that being said, um I stopped using intermittent fasting and started using a more ancestral like feeding pattern. You know, because if we really look back to hunter-gatherers, you know, they hunted and gathered during the day, and once it got dark wherever you live, they didn't hunt and gather because they would become food. And so when you look at their day, they literally worked all day, especially if you go all the way back to like Australopithecus. They worked all day and chewed food all day just to sustain life. There wasn't like, hey, let's go to a party. No, we've got to find food and chew it. And when you think about that, there probably was pretty close to a, a sixteen-eight kind of uh, window of time where they could eat. What do you think of that?
1: I think so, yeah, I think it really is tied back into some type of evolutionary eating, so from what my husband has like an anthropology degree, so it 's true, it seems like people were just eating whatever was available, berries, leaves, that type of thing, and then you know the big hunt would get whatever some type of meat, which maybe it was only available like once a week or something i I'm, mm-hmm. I'm really not mm-hmm. sure, but yeah, I'm sure it's tied back into that for sure
0: yeah and 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 because I know that when I used to do the sixteen uh, eight in the eight hours I was able to eat, I ate. I mean, I ate ridiculous amounts of good food. I mean, you know, I mean, lots of eggs and meat and chicken and salmon. And I, back then I was drinking raw milk. I was probably drinking a half gallon of milk a day. Uh And I was my strongest and my fittest at that point in my life. And I probably was in my late 50s at that time. Um And, and all I can say... About that is that there's something very satisfying between the feast and the famine. You know, you you you're getting really hungry. You train today, and now you're gonna now you're gonna unleash the dogs, and you're gonna eat, and you eat until you are so satisfied. I mean, if you were a lion, you'd find a tree to lay down under and just stay there, and then the next day you do it again. There's something very satisfying about the diversity of feast and famine that doesn't make you feel like you're starving yourself
1: yeah that, and that's what a lot of our our subjects in the sixteen eight studies say. but we actually interestingly, I think the main thing that sixteen eight is doing is actually reducing energy intake just naturally. Of so course. we've shown that if you eat in an eight hour window, um people cut out anywhere from three to five hundred calories a day naturally without having to count calories, right. which is so cool because people are so sick of monitoring stuff, you know, so I think that's like the main reason it became so popular recently.
0: So, and the other thing is, there's a lot of discussion that should be had by the the group, by your group of, of scientists, about the effects of ghrelin on fat deposition. Uh, I did a show many years ago, and one more recently about you know ghrp six injections are very popular now on the with the peptide group. And anybody who's ever fooled around with GHRP6 or ipamorelin or any of the ghrelin agonists know that if you take too much, you'll eat your own fingers. Like the first time I took GHRP6, I took 250 micrograms, just a quarter of a milligram. I was eating brewer's yeast out of the can and convinced that it tasted delicious. Wow. Like that's what ghrelin does. And But the other thing that ghrelin does is, appropriately, if you look at evolution, if you got that hungry, ghrelin's going to make you eat so much because who knows if you're not going to be able to find food again. And so the production of ghrelin for people who get really, 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 really hungry, they may want to start out with their windows adjusted till they can last without really getting like terribly hungry when they're in the fasted mode because that actually has a hormonal influence on what is the repartitioning of body fat when you eat the food. Um, one of the best scientists I ever had on the show was a fellow from India named Dr. Malind Watfi. He wrote a book of Doves, Diplomats, and Diabetes. Brilliant man. But he connected the dots between our ancestral brain and hunger and then foraging and finding food and the importance of feeling that way Before you eat because the body does different things with food versus, you know, every hour you get up and go to the refrigerator and grab something to eat and come back down. You never really get that hungry, that hungry. So it's 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 fascinating. It's fascinating. All right. Let's take our last commercial break. When we come back, we'll wrap up the show and talk a little bit more about the book. Stay tuned. There are lots of concerns about food supply today. That's why you need White Oak Pastures. White Oak Pastures will deliver food right to your doorstep. You don't even have to go out and be disappointed by shopping in grocery stores. The finest beef, pork, lamb, duck, and more can be found at White Oak Pastures. And now they even have seafood. And best of all, White Oak Pastures has a negative carbon footprint, which means that you don't have to feel guilty for eating your ribeye. Go to shrnetwork.biz slash whiteoak and use the code superhuman to save 15% Hey guys, it's time to change your f*** underwear. And it's time to change to sheath. Sheath's Underwear's revolutionary designs allows your man parts to hang the way they would naturally hang if you were not wearing underwear. And this improves the blood flow throughout the day to the twigs and berries. If you've never experienced wearing a pair of sheath underwear, boy, is there an exciting experience waiting for you. Grab a pen and write this down. Go to shrnetwork.biz slash slash sheath that's s-h-e-a-t-h and use the code superhuman to save 20 percent off your first pair and get this if you're not completely satisfied Send them back for a full refund. That's shrnetwork.biz slash sheath. Hey, this is Carl Lenore. I am the inventor of Gunleash. Over half a million handguns are lost in the United States every year. If you carry a gun like I do, you are 300 times more likely to lose your gun. And 15% of those guns will end up in criminals' hands and used in the commission of a crime. Gunleash solves that problem. GunLeash is a patented, no-tracking proximity device the size of a postage stamp. It will alert you as soon as your gun is outside of your range so you can never leave your gun behind. To learn more and to be notified... When GunLeash is available at the end of January, go to GunLeash.com and get on our mailing list. GunLeash. Never lose your gun. Never leave your gun. Merrick Health is a premium telehealth platform that connects customers with partnered providers from the comfort of your home. Merrick provides concierge service with your very own patient care provider as your health advocate. You'll go over all your needs and goals from improving sexual function, hair loss prevention, increased muscle, fat loss, and overall improved performance. Prescribed treatment options can be ordered and Shipped directly to you if you meet the requirements. All from the comfort of your home. Go to shrnetworkbiz Health. That's M-A-R-E-K-H-A-L-T-H, and order your comprehensives and get ten percent off with code SHR. Don't forget to add the lab analysis to have results reviewed with potential over-the-counter supplements or treatment recommendations. That's shrnetworkbiz health and use code SHR at checkout, or order your own desired labs with code SHR and get ten percent off your first lab order. Remember those rectangular toaster pastries you used to love when you were a kid? Well, Legendary Foods has just made them better. The new cake-style Tasty Pastry is like nothing you've ever had before. With 20 grams of high-quality protein and less than one gram of sugar, you'll feel like you're cheating, but you're not. Go to shrnetwork.biz slash legendary and use the code SHR10 to save save 10% off your purchase of Tasty Pastries. Now available in cookies and cream, red velvet cake, birthday cake, blueberry, strawberry, brown sugar cinnamon, and hot fudge. Sunday. Go to shrnetwork.biz/legendary and use code SHR10 today. Spit that out right now. This is the Superhuman Channel. Welcome back. So, was there anything that occurred in this research? That wasn't necessarily one of the endpoints you were looking at, but surprised you uh, that, wow, we didn't expect to see that. Because one, one of the things that McCarty told me when he did the first study with rodents is this was, this was just a weight loss study. They, they had no – they weren't looking for sirtuins to be upregulated. They weren't looking for the markers of, like, reversing aging, and that was a surprise. Anything surprise you on this study?
1: Uh, unfortunately, no. I think the main thing that surprised me was how well people could adhere to it. You know, asking people to do five times a week of exercising when they're used to like not doing anything. Um, so it kind of surprised us. People were able to do four out of five of those sessions, but I do have to say the study was run during COVID. So I think people just had more time. Um, so we, we actually transitioned the supervised exercise session to like an at home thing where we just watched people over zoom do the exercise and they seemed to really like it. So. That was honestly very relieving because, you know, the main thing that helps people change their health is sticking to whatever it is, like diet or exercise. And people, most people said that they would continue the Interventions Act. So I think that was a great kind of surprise, too.
0: You know, what's really uh, interesting, and I'm sure that there's a bunch of people in my audience that are going to nod their head and say, me too. The days that I train, I always eat right. The days I don't train, uh, you know, I'll, I'll eat something I shouldn't eat or maybe I'll Eat more than I should have eaten because really I, I turn my calories down on days I don't uh, eat. I I eat just two meals on those days. I eat three to four meals um. on the days I train. But with that being said, I find that if you get up first thing in the morning and what, whatever it is, if it's twenty minutes of walking, you know, ten minutes out the door, ten minutes back, that kind of gives you some equity in the day. And if, and you don't want to give up that equity. You now you don't want to can, you don't want to default on your mortgage on the last payment and lose everything. And so once you have that equity in the day, you're like, well, I'm going to eat right today. And when you don't do anything first thing in the morning, I find, at least for me, then I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to be as, uh, I'm going to be a lot more, uh, tolerant about what I want to eat and when I want to eat because uh, I didn't train today anyway.
1: Oh yeah. That, that is really. So how many times a week do you train?
0: Uh, I I lift weights at least five days a week. I do. Oh, wow! I do cardio probably four to five days a week. First thing in the morning, it's nothing arduous. I get up and I just do twenty minutes of cardio. I do have a. I'm starting to do interval training again. Hit because I've had some surgeries. I've had injuries from weightlifting and stuff like that. And uh, I, I I am just now starting. I have an airdyne, and I'm just starting to do get up, get downstairs, and just do like six cycles. A sprint and then two minutes sprint. I do that six times, and man, that's better than a cup of coffee.
1: Oh, great! Okay, and you don't find, yeah, you don't find it really difficult to do or anything, or no, no. I've never done, yeah, the hit training. Honestly, I, you know, I work out on like elliptical machines and I lift weights and I do Pilates and stuff. But the hit training, I don't know. It just seems like it'd be too intense for me. But you, no, you it's enjoy really it.
0: not. Well, well, first of all, you don't have to turn it up like. I I'll do some days I'll do three sprints and I'm done. I'm out of there. Like, you know, and that takes like six minutes. You know what I mean? It's no big deal. Um, you just, you don't want to, so hit is, um, very effective, uh, way to train. It does a lot of things beneficial to the body, uh, metabolism. Um, but it's one of those things like fasting. You like, you can't do HIT every single day. If you do, then, then it stops working and you don't feel good Mm -hmm. and you're exhausted all the time. Uh, so I'm just integrating it in now, but mo- mo- most mornings it's 20. Maybe if I feel like 30 minutes of walking, I-, I like to catch the news, you know, bring the phone down, put it on the-, the treadmill and watch some stuff. Then I get all my stuff together and then I go to the gym. So I'm still fasted. I don't eat until after the gym.
1: Oh wow! Oh, okay, and you don't find you get like super hungry before or anything. No. That's great. Yeah, I find a lot of our subjects say that too—that they don't. Or a lot of like runners and stuff, I find like will run in the morning and then just not eat anything before and feel like totally great. Well, people
0: people are under the mis assumption that the food you ate at breakfast is powering through you through the workout that you're doing two hours later, and it's not. Um, yeah. your, your muscles are filled with glycogen by then. If you got good rest, your central nervous system is primed and has plenty of neurotransmitters to feed muscle. You don't need food before you work out. And I find personally, if I eat a meal and then go to the gym two hours later, I'm, I'm I have to slog through it. I don't feel like because my 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 stomach mm. is going. Where do you want me to send this blood to? Your muscles or your stomach? Make up make <laughs> up your mind. You know what I mean? So yeah, I, exactly. I, I love I love training fasted. And I also learned this from Melinda Watfield. In his book of Doves, Diplomats, and Diabetes, when you train fasted and your training has an element of risk, your body handles the food differently that you eat because what it does is it uses more of it to supercompensate for the next time you get into this jam. And the, the, it, it, that's one of the greatest books. I Change the shape and direction of this show, that book. Of doves, diplomats, and diabetes—fantastic! Oh, the one
1: you mentioned before. Yeah. yeah, interesting. I'll check it out for sure.
0: Yeah, it's really, 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 really. I, I think more people should read it because they'd understand how exercise can influence—and not weight loss, like you said. It, it's about building strong structures, improving bone strength and muscle function, and so on. But anyway, did we miss anything? There's anything that you wanted to talk about uh, before we uh, stop the interview?
1: Um, no, I think we went through, yeah, the main kind of design aspects and the, the main thing. So I think again, it does work. If you want to combine intermittent fasting with exercise, it can help to lower fatty liver. And if you stay on it long enough, maybe it could even help to treat it. So definitely a good option if you can stick to it. There you go. All
0: right. Here's the book, folks. The every other day diet, four weeks, 12 pounds, two sizes. You can get it at Amazon. Dr. Krista Varaday. Uh, check it out. Buy it for a relative. Buy it for somebody who needs a little, you know, maybe you're like, no, nah, I I got this. I'm covered already. But uh, is your Aunt Tilly covered? Is your Uncle Mike covered? I actually had an Aunt Tilly and Uncle Mike, by the way. Uh, they were married. Uh, but really, I mean, buy this gift for somebody and give them a few extra years on their life. You know, that's a great gift. And share this show because you never know who you're going to help. There's somebody out there right now languishing on the idea that they have to do something. They know. It's the time. I can't put this off any longer. And they may hear this show. They'll run out and buy the book. And who knows? A year from now, you'll see them and they'll say, I have to thank you. You remember that show you sent me? Look at me. Look how great I look. Look how great I feel. Krista, thanks for being here yet again. Thank you.
1: Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Yeah. It was great seeing you again. And good luck with it. You said you're going to stop doing the show in like a year or so? No, I've am I'm.
0: i, I if, I'm, I've been telling my audience to be prepared. I'm actually looking to stop the show in the next couple months.
1: Oh, um, Okay. All right. Because well, my, yeah, good my, luck with whatever you plan on doing.
0: Yeah, my, my, my focus is on GunLeash and getting that out into the market because uh um, we know that GunLeash will save lives. Uh, 15 to 20% of all lost and stolen handguns fall into the hands of criminals where they're used in the commission of a crime. And if we can take those guns out of criminals hands, then we're doing a great service to the American public. And that's the plan. That's what we're doing. That's what GunLeash does. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. Take care. And we'll see everybody tomorrow with more Superhuman Radio. Thanks for being here. Share the show. Take care.